Last week, we determined that we are to be more than mere men. Now, we noted that the text is using the term men in its generic sense, and that it refers to both men and women, but we gladly stuck with men because it was Father's Day. And this morning, we go on to the second part of our Father's Day sermon. Now, Paul has already intimated that we begin life as men of flesh, are born again as babes in Christ, and then develop into either fleshly or carnal brethren or spiritual men. And it's obviously God's desire for us all to become spiritual men, mature men of faith. But even that is not the end of it. Because most men want to go on to fatherhood. And that is true in the physical realm and should be true in the spiritual realm as well. A father is a man who has reproduced physically or spiritually. And most spiritual men want to do both. Now, as far as we know, Paul wasn't a physical father, but he was most certainly a spiritual father. He referred to Timothy as his true child in the faith and his beloved son. And he viewed himself as the father of the churches that he planted. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, he wrote, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, numbered among their tutors was Apollos, and some of the church liked Apollos more than they liked Paul. They thought he was a better preacher and rallied around him, which led others to defend Paul and rally around him. The end result was that the church was dividing into factions, into little fan clubs, and that disturbed Paul greatly, so much so that he said, when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Are you not carnal, fleshly brethren? Obviously, Paul thought such rivalry in the church was wrong. In fact, no man should be lifted up in the church above others, not even the father of a congregation. The father may have planted the seed, but he's no more responsible for the church becoming a living body of Christ than a physical father can claim the credit for bringing new life into the world. But then again, we must not minimize the father's contribution because someone has to plant the seed. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 5. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. 
become a father, you must plant the seed. Now, we'll not go into the details of how that works this morning. We'll just affirm the fact that a father plants the seed. But a man can't become a father by himself. He has to work with someone else who's just as important to the process as he is. It takes a woman for a man to become a father. And each must do their part. But even a man and a woman is not enough. If God has not put the potential for life in the seed and in the woman, no life is possible. And even if the potential is there, everything has to come together as God ordains and directs for a new life to be formed. You know, in our high-tech medical world, we tend to forget that God is the author of life. Eve had it right when she gave birth to Cain and said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. The same is true on a spiritual level both as it relates to individuals and to churches. You know, Paul has already made it clear that people aren't born again by cleverness of speech and persuasive words of wisdom. Only God can bring someone to life, physically or spiritually. But He has given us the privilege of participating in the process. You know, He could have ordained that humans reproduce like sponges. He could have designed us so that babies would just start growing on the surface of our skin. But he didn't. And he could have ordained that people would be born again by his direct touch. But he didn't. He has entrusted to those who have been born again the responsibility of planting the seeds of faith in others. He's also given to us the responsibility of watering the spiritual seeds that have been planted in someone's life. We work together in partnership with God as His servants, as His fellow workers to bring forth new life. Without Him, we're nothing. We cannot bring forth spiritual life without His participation any more than we could bring forth a baby without Him. That's why it's foolish to think we can convert anyone. All we do is plant seeds and water the seeds. God gives the increase. He's responsible for the results, the growth that does or doesn't take place. As we noted several weeks ago, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We can't do it. So we shouldn't even try. If through our cleverness or persuasive arguments or orchestrated emotional appeals, we get someone to make a decision, we make the cross of Christ void. And they become our converts, not God's. Now that is true in personal evangelism and in corporate evangelism. The church must never take upon itself the responsibility of church growth. Through hard work, good marketing, and an entrepreneurial spirit, we can build large organizations, even religious ones, but only God causes 
spiritual growth to take place. So yes, let's go on to fatherhood. Let's do our part in spiritual reproduction. But let's not think we are more important than we really are. The one who plants the seed is no more important than the one who waters it. But neither is anything apart from the Heavenly Father. He is the author of life. We are simply His fellow workers in the process. We plant and water the seed and then lay the foundation for growth once that new life is brought into existence by Him. Verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has changed analogies here from planting seed to building a building, but the same thing is in focus. He's talking about spiritual growth the body of Christ, so we can apply what he has to say to the process of fathering. Paul not only planted seed in Corinth, he laid a foundation upon which that body could be built up. And he says there is only one foundation that a man can lay. Now, I don't want to appear to be in disagreement with Paul, but obviously other foundations can be laid. Jesus himself spoke of two foundations upon which a house can be built, rock and sand. Paul's point was simply that there's only one foundation that we can lay in a life that will be adequate for all the challenges of time and eternity, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. A wise master builder, a spiritually mature father knows that and makes certain his children are grounded in Christ, that they know Him and have every opportunity to accept Him as the rock upon which to build their lives. Keeping our focus on fathers, there's an interesting statistic that affirms the importance of fathers taking an active role in the spiritual development of their children. It's been found that if mom and dad both go to church regularly, there's an 80% chance that their children will make church a priority throughout their life. If only mom goes to church with them and dad stays home, there's only a 30% chance that the children will become regular in worship as adults. Now, that doesn't surprise us. What is surprising is that if dad goes with the children and mom doesn't, the percentage rises to 70%. It's essential that fathers lay a foundation in the lives of their children. A solid foundation. And to be quite honest, that foundation has to be more than a habit of church attendance. It has to be a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father made possible through a personal relationship with His Son. Without 
a doubt. That is the most important thing fathers can share with their physical children. Nothing brings me more joy than to have a son and a daughter who love the Lord and are raising their children to love the Lord. We must make every effort to raise our children in the faith. Nothing's more important than that. And that's what we seek to do in the lives of all of our spiritual children as well, you know. It's not enough to get Christian babies involved in Christian activities and then assume they will become mature Christians. If the foundation that is laid in their life is nothing more than religious practices and good morals, all we will see developed is a religiously moral person. That's not enough. That's not adequate. And quite frankly, that is nothing but sand. The only foundation that is sure is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that not only speaks to our work as personal evangelists, but to the work of the church as a whole as well. You know, we can and should offer programs and activities that meet the needs for fellowship and personal growth. But we must be very careful that religious activity in the church doesn't become a substitute for a relationship with Christ. If someone comes into the church and is only taught how to become a good church member, that's all they will ever be. They must be brought to the cross of Christ regularly so their love can grow for the one who loved them enough to die for them. Only then will He truly become the Lord of their life and the sure foundation upon which everything else can be solidly built. So a godly father plants the seed and lays the foundation in the lives of his children, but even then his work is not done. He must also make sure that others who are involved in building up the life he has fathered build carefully. Verses 12 through 15. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is through fire. As a father... Paul was concerned about the building that was going on in the lives of his children. And while in Corinth, he had a personal hand in that building. The time came, however, when others were doing most of the building, and he wanted to make sure they were building carefully on the foundation he had laid. Now, the time comes in the life of every father physical or spiritual, when that happens. Because our children aren't raised in a vacuum or in a bubble. We would sometimes wish that were the case, but it's not. 
Before we know it, it seems as if everyone else is having more influence on our children than we are. Relatives, friends, teachers, coaches, scoutmasters, employers, the list just keeps growing. But a father must never abdicate his responsibility. A father can't just sit back and expect the church to make a moral person out of his son, the schools to make him into a well-rounded person, and the scouts or Uncle Sam to make him into a man. A father must do everything he can to make sure those who are adding building blocks in the lives of his children are building on the same foundation he established and are building carefully with materials that will last and with a progressive agenda that has infiltrated our educational system and even many churches, fathers must be extremely vigilant in these matters. What are your children learning? What are they hearing? What beliefs are being challenged? And have they been equipped to meet those challenges? We've got a huge responsibility that goes beyond just what we teach our children. And that's true of both physical and spiritual fathers. We've been commissioned not only to go and make disciples, but to teach our spiritual offspring to observe all the Lord has commanded us. Now, that's not to say any one spiritual father can do it all by himself, or that he should even try. It takes a church, a family, to raise a healthy spiritual child. But a father does have the responsibility of making sure his spiritual children are getting what they need to continue growing and developing into mature men and women of faith. As spiritual parents, we must encourage our spiritual children to get into the Word, the meat of the Word, and help them establish good study habits. We should direct them to good Bible study groups and classes and Christian books. And, of course, we should encourage them to always be a part of a church that's committed to feeding believers and helping them grow. One word of caution here. Not everything they hear in church, even a good church, or everything they learn in classes or read in Christian books is going to be solid, gold, silver, and precious stone teaching. Some of it will be wood, hay, and straw. We must therefore teach our children to be discerning so they won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every new teaching, program, or emphasis that breaks onto the religious scene. Not everything that is said or done in the name of Christ will pass the test of time, or be judged true on the day of the Lord. And not everyone who works in the name of the Lord will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now this should serve as a warning not only to our spiritual children, but to all who work in the kingdom of God. As we seek to build each other up spiritually, we must be careful to build solidly with the meat of the Word, 
and not spiritual flux as a church. We must be very careful how we go. Now, we're all aware of the megachurches. And even though 90% of the over 330,000 local congregations in the United States are under 200 in attendance, there's a tendency to believe we should all strive to become megachurches. Somehow we've equated growth in the kingdom of God with ever-growing local congregations that may or may not be God's plan. Our job is to plant and water. God's to be in charge of the growth. If we think it's our job to make the church grow, it can be very tempting to build with anything that gets results. Even things that will prove to be wood, hay, or straw. And then assume God is blessing us because we're growing. I'm afraid there are going to be a lot of disappointed preachers on Judgment Day. Now, they and those they led to the Lord, if they were indeed led to Christ and not simply to a charismatic individual, will be saved. But what they worked so hard to build and what impressed the world so much will be reduced to ashes. That's why we must let God make of us what He will. And why we must build carefully in each other's lives using only gold, silver, and precious stones. Once our spiritual children are mature enough to handle the meat of the Word, we must make sure they get it. And as a church, that must be our first priority. We had a lot of fun at VBS. We taught a lot of foundational truths this week. But now we can't sit back and say, well, we've done our job. We've got to keep building on that foundation. You've got to make sure your kids are taught the meat of the Word. You've got to make certain your kids are in our Sunday school program and they do their homework. And you do it with them. Hmm. If we're going to grow up men and women of faith, we've got to stay invested in them. Okay? Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. Our goal is that our children become mature men and women of faith. And surely that is the goal of every Christian father. If that hasn't been your goal as a father, I pray that you will come to understanding of the importance of being a spiritual father as well as a physical one, even in your own home, as well as in your broader influence in the kingdom of God. You know, to bring children into this world and not prepare them for the world to come is to fail as a father. And without Christ in your life, it's impossible to adequately father anyone. So let's commit ourselves, all of us, commit ourselves to going on to fatherhood, whether we are physical fathers or not. And if you've not been born again as a child 
of the Heavenly Father, I invite you to come and allow us the privilege of helping you grow into the mature man or woman of faith your Heavenly Father desires you to become.